So I'd like you to imagine some scenarios. The first one is, it's Sunday morning, and you've arrived at church, and you're out in the lobby, and you're chatting with somebody, and you see somebody walking down into the lobby, coming towards you, and this is someone with whom you have some issues, maybe they irritate you, or you don't like them, or you've had some conflict or difficulty with them in the past, and suddenly you become very busy in conversation with a person right here because you don't want to talk to that person, and you don't want to look them in the eye. Now, none of you have ever done that, I'm sure, but I have. Scenario number two, it's Sunday evening, and we're all right here tonight. And you're happy to be at church. And good for you. Good for you for coming out on a Sunday evening. And you know that Sunday evenings, part of the service is that we have prayer time together. And so you peruse the audience and you look at where you usually sit and you see somebody sitting near there that you either don't know or that you don't really feel comfortable with. And so instead of going and sitting there and giving yourself an opportunity to pray with them, you go and move somewhere else. It's more comfortable for you. Or this one. You've been attending Cedarview for quite a while. And over the years, you've gotten very comfortable with your core group of friends. And that's a good thing. And you see them at church. You have social times with them outside of church some occasionally. And it's not unusual for you after a service to congregate with them and visit with them. You found the sweet spot here at Cedarview for your family, for you, for your social life. But it's easy to ignore the newcomers, the outliers, the visitors, the outsiders. And besides, don't we have pastors and a welcome team to do all of that? That's what their job is, right? And you're in a rut. It may be fur-lined, air-conditioned, but it's still a rut. Need I go on? You've got the idea, I think. So two weeks ago... I had already planned what my message was going to be for tonight. It was going to be on the whole idea of making amends and what the Bible says about when we are in conflict or we hold unforgiveness towards someone else or they do towards us and how the Bible says we are to resolve that for our edification, for our sanctification, for our recovery. But two weeks ago, as Pastor Kelly presented her powerful message on the topic of more like Jesus, by the way, that's up on YouTube, on the Cedarview YouTube channel, and if you, haven't, if you missed it, please go watch it. I got thinking, I want to change my focus for tonight because it seemed to fit in with what she started and I felt like it was an important message. And so uh, for all the work I did before, thanks, Kelly. Just thank you. She read scripture from Ephesians 4. And this evening, I'd like to start with one of the passages she read. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul wrote, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And this passage, in part, refers to the relationship we are to have with one another as Christians, as we are the body of the church, the body of Christ, who is our head. And we are to be loving and truthful, not sequentially, but simultaneously at the same time. 
And we are to be part of a functional growing family of believers. And Paul writes that when we are working properly as the parts, we are building up the body in love. And I love the phrase that he said, we are to grow up in every way, including in how we use the gifts God has given us. And that's actually what Paul was talking about in the earlier part of chapter 4 in Ephesians, about the various giftings that we have. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26, Paul, as he writes concerning spiritual gifts, goes on to flesh out the metaphor of the church as the body of of Christ. So I'd like us to just read this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The whole bo- if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are, well, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It seems really important as as we read this and think about it, that in the previous part of the chapter, 12, Paul is speaking about the range of spiritual gifts. And in this portion we've just read, he's letting us know that God sees all of our spiritual gifts, whatever gifts you have been given through the Holy Spirit, all as vital and valuable to the body of the church. It's easy for some of us to get caught up in the idea that some gifts are somehow more important than others, just as we might assume that a particular part of our physical bodies is more or less useful than another part. Now, I have an example about that in just a moment. But remember that if Pastor Don and the board here had no congregation, no body to help oversee and guide, it would be about as useful as a couple of eyeballs rolling down the street on their own without a body or a brain. That would be useless. And so you and you and all of us together are a vital, important part of the body of Christ. And some roles and some gifts are more visible, perhaps more public in nature. I think of the worship team, people who teach, people who get up and lead groups, and so on like like that. But there's many other gifts that are equally important, equally vital. And we need to remember that. Each one of us is vital. 
So here's the example. I recently broke the middle toe on my left foot. And it was a klutzy move on my part, running through the dining room in my bare feet and not dodging the table leg, as I should have. And I had instant awareness of how important that little toe was. Now, I want you to know, I've never thought of my, little, my middle toe, rather, on my left foot as being particularly attractive. I don't think of it. I don't really, I, other than washing it and trimming the toenail occasionally, I, I, it's just not in my awareness. But suddenly, its vitality for my balance and my mobility became very apparent. And so, too, I think one of the challenges that you and I have is that we don't recognize things until they're missing or not, not in use. And by the way, it's healed now, and I am very grateful for it, and I pay more attention to it than I used to. So, too, each member and each part of our spiritual body, the church, is needed, important, and vital, as I said. And unfortunately, we as a church can go limping through our walk together year after year until it begins to seem like it's normal. That's just the way it is, we say to ourselves. We rationalize it. That's the way things are. Which is rather like saying we're dysfunctional and we're comfortable with it that way. I don't think that's what God calls us to, however. And there's a neurological disorder. It's called asomatognosia. Asomatognosia. There's no spelling test, so it's okay. And it's characterized by the loss of awareness of a part or parts of the body. For example, the person who has this might do something like this. I don't know whose arm this is or whose hand that is. It doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It has nothing to do with me. Now, if that was the case for a family member, a loved one, for somebody you worked with or cared for in some way, you would think that's maybe a mental illness, a neurological disorder, something that needs to be addressed, that needs to be taken care of. And, and I think this is an important point. I'm going to come back to it. But how is that like in some ways, how we ignore certain sorts of spiritual gifts in the church? Do we ignore or cut off or avoid others, brothers and sisters in Christ, because we don't understand how their gifting is manifested in some way? Paul writes that there ought to be no division in the body and that the members need to care for one another. Verse 20 in chapter 12 sums it up clearly. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We need each other. It doesn't relinquish our personal responsibility, by the way. In fact, it greatens it. It, it, it makes that more, even more important that we bring our personal responsibility, our personal relationship with the Lord into the body to help and to support. And so I have four main points tonight. Point number one, the church is not a country club. A human flaw that many of us have is that we sometimes can get into a sense of entitlement in a particular setting. And it's easy to do it. I've done it myself. Well, I'm entitled. And in a church, it could be, well, you know, I've been a member here a long time. I tithe regularly. I go on mission trips. I help out in various ministries as a volunteer. So uh, I believe that 
you know, I should get special attention or I should hear things. I should be listened to more than somebody who's new or somebody who's not involved at the same level. And while I do believe that all of us as members of this church, of this body of Christ, need to be heard, and that means that we really need to listen to one another, Paul does remind us that the members are many, but we are one body and we all drink and are nurtured of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. If any one of us believes that we are somehow special or more important or have better connections, it is as if we are saying to the rest of the body, I have no need of you. I'm better. I'm more important. I have spiritual asomatognosia. It's like I don't recognize you as being part of my body. That is a sinful way to view one another. Well, some of you might say, well, Jonathan, I don't think that way. I don't believe that way. Well, the question is, does your behavior here as part of the body consistently demonstrate that you value all who are part of this godly body? How are you showing your care for others? Do you go out of your way to welcome visitors or newcomers or those who might not fit into your comfort zone or to make amends where there's been discord or difficulty? I am always so grateful, and I've had this happen to me because I have the ability sometimes to offend people. It's not my intention, but I do it. And I've had people come and speak with me about it and talk to me and do it so graciously and kindly. And I love when that happens because it helps me grow. It helps me learn that I need to focus on how I'm speaking to someone. I need to maybe change some of my behaviors. And it's helpful. I I so much prefer somebody coming and speaking to me rather than going and complaining to somebody else in the body, which is not helpful in any way. Is this church home of ours, is Cedarview primarily for our comfort or is it for challenging us, convincing, convicting us, stretching us, and thus strengthening us in the body so that we can honor God as we serve him? This isn't a place meant for primarily our comfort. Number two, the church is not defined by our preferences or by human personalities. Over the years in various churches, I've heard people complaining that the music is too loud, it's too modern, it's too old-fashioned, uh, it's not interesting, it's uh, too secular. There's, And I've heard of people leaving a church because they didn't like the music. Now, if it's not a doctrinal issue, I'm not really sure that that's a very useful reason. Other churches will focus all their attention on a pastor's personality or teaching style. Someone in this church once told me, this is a long time ago, that they attended this church only when a particular pastor was preaching because they really didn't like the style of the other teachers. By the way, that person isn't here tonight and uh, following their pattern. But that's problem thinking, isn't it? Let's use Cedarview as an example. We've been blessed for many years and continue to be with the wise teaching and the scholarly skills of Pastor Don. And my friend Stefan, who I interviewed here a couple of weeks ago, said that that was one of the reasons he came here to this church. He said he came here because Pastor Don is a really good teacher, and he said he's right most of the time, which I was very amused by. 
And Don is a wonderful teacher, but we also know how quickly time passes. The day will come when Don Horbin will consider retirement. And I believe that he would be the last person to say that when he retires, you should just up and leave Cedarview and go somewhere else. In fact, leaving for that reason would be a sign of idolatry. Putting a personality in the style before the well-being of the body itself. Instead, you and I are instructed to love one another, to seek the Lord while he may be found. We are to avoid division in the body and care for one another. In Galatians 6, 2, it says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we're to do this with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pastors, leaders, volunteers, Christian friends come into our lives for a season and then leave. But the truth of the word of God remains our firm foundation. We are to put our focus on the eternal word of God, not our mortal leaders or the latest trends. I was reminded of what uh, James wrote in chapter 5, verse 14b. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I spoke recently to someone who had been involved in a well-known church, and some of you will know who I'm talking about. Their, their former leader, their teaching pastor, he was charismatic and charming. He was caught in repeated sexual sins. And when he left in disgrace and with criminal charges pending, some people just reflexively left the congregation. Notice that there are lots of folks in that church who have remained, who are suffering and struggling and are hurting. But I'm somewhat curious if just abandoning them and leaving is is a useful thing when cohesion and help and healing is important. Maybe we are to band together even more when things are difficult. I think think that's what God wants us to do. Because that's idolatry. That person sinned, he fell, the church is ruined, I'm gone. Just my opinion. Paul reminds us, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We are to bear one another's burdens. Number three, the church is defined by the person of Jesus and the infallible word of God. So this, I've talked about what it is not. This is what it is. In Corinthians 12, in our text, Verse 12, for just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. We're all in this together. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul writes this, letting us know that we, the body, are unified and defined in one spirit. This is both comforting and when deeply considered, I find it a bit daunting as well because there's a real responsibility that comes with this. And I'm not somebody who always likes those kinds of responsibilities. God, you fix it. You know, you take care of that. But God has given us gifts and abilities and intellect and and emotions and he wants us to be involved in this process. We are to interact with the body as a whole. Earlier in chapter 12, speaking about spiritual gifts, in uh, chapter 12, 4, 7, Paul wrote, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. This passage from God's inspired word is reminding you and me that we are not all gifted in the same way, but whatever gifts we have are from the same almighty God, and that the use or implementation of these gifts is for the common good. It is to glorify God. It's not to make us look good. And by the way, I, I want to just at this moment, while it pops into my mind, to acknowledge that there are so many people in this church who work for the common good, who are unspoken, unsung. You don't know their names a lot of times. I think of people, for example, who are up in the projection booth tonight, running the slides, working on the sound, in the sound booth, making sure you can hear me. Most of these people, most of the time, are kind of nameless and faceless unless you know them personally. But they are an integral part of what we do here at Cedarview when we come into the service. And there are many others who who do similar kinds of things. Volunteers who've volunteered for years. And we are to encourage and to love and to help and support one another. We are to strengthen the body of the church. And we ought not to take this responsibility for one another lightly, even though sometimes the, the in temptation is to put responsibility onto other people or ignore the Spirit's urgings. There's kind of a spiritual laziness that sometimes kicks in. And this leads me to the final point for the evening. And that is point number four. We are the church. I got a phone call this week from an older Christian man who has a real heart for the homeless and the indigent and the downtrodden, and he wants to create more places in town and here in Newmarket for people who are living on the street or very poor to get a meal and some Christian kindness. And I know he's worked with other community groups and churches to facilitate this. He's very determined, and he's spoken to me about this several times, insistently, persistently, and I'm pretty sure I'll be hearing from him again. And while I agree in principle with everything that he has said and his desire to help, and I know he feels led by the Lord to do this, to serve others as his obedience to Christ, that there was a part of me, and I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this, I was kind of annoyed when he called me on Tuesday morning and I was busy working on my notes and I had other things going on and I had a couple meetings and I said, oh, and it was a good conversation, but I, underneath I was irritated a little bit. I was thinking to myself, well, I've got lots to do. do. I'm, I'm really busy. Why is he bugging me about this? Like there's other people you could bug and uh, that's really not my job here. And then I realized that there are days that I forget that I am part of the body. And this was after I got off the phone with him. I'm part of this body. And I'm grateful for that. And I love this community of believers. I love you as, as, as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if I could tell you personally how much this church and this body means to me, I, I'd be here way too long. But I had to realize that after I spoke with him and that I am to be working towards the unity of the body. I'm to put Jesus first, to love God with all my heart and to love my neighbors as myself. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being called to start a soup kitchen or to do 
weekly or daily meals for people. I don't believe right now that that's what God is calling me to do, but I do believe that there's need for things like that. And you and I need to be encouraging and supportive and helpful to others in the body who have a vision for how their gifts can come into fruition. I think it's too easy sometimes for us to discourage one another. It was a great idea. We don't have time. I, I know that somebody here came up with a really great idea to Pastor Chris, and he said, to, he told these folks, and I know who they are, and I think it's a great idea too. He said, write a proposal. It's a great idea. I can't do it, but maybe you can. And we'll see what we can do to support and encourage you. That's the kind of thing we need more of in this church. It's not up to the board. It's not up to Pastor Don. It's not up to the staff or the ministry leaders or the head volunteers or whomever. It's up to each one of us. I, just like you, am required to apply the gifts God has given me and he's given you and to do so joyfully for his glory because we collectively are the church. Romans 14, uh, 12, 4, 6, 4 to 6 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So I have a few questions for you to consider. Are you actively pursuing the implementation of your spiritual gifts? Maybe you don't even know what they are. And if you don't, what are you doing to find out? Are you asking the Lord to point them out to you? I'd like to recommend a couple of really good books. I meant to bring them up here and hold them up so that they could show them on the screen. But feel free to send me an email. I'll send you the titles. One book is called Convergence by uh, Pastor uh, John Thompson. He's from Sanctus Church in Durham Region. The other is a book called 5Q that I just started that was recommended to me by uh, Marilyn Hodges, and it's, it's a really excellent book, and it's by Alan Hirsch. These, neither of these books are easy reading. They're kind of a deep slog, but they talk about the importance of all the spiritual gifts and how churches can implement them and how we can discover what ours are and how we can work together in unity. Something else to ask. Are you waiting for others to serve or are you stepping forward yourself as God moves you outside of your comfort zone? Oh, comfort zones, that's a whole other message. As a member of the body, are you struggling, grieving, in pain, ill, suffering in any way? And have you considered, if that's the case and you've been doing it silently, that we as fellow members of the body want to walk with you through your difficulties and challenges? We're instructed in God's word to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Please don't suffer or struggle in silence and alone, thinking that you ought not to say it. Now, you can be sort of private about it, pick and choose. But there are many people here, I can tell you, right in this room, who would love to walk with you, to pray with you, to support and encourage you. And if you say, well, I'm not going to do that, then what I'd ask you is, what do you know that God doesn't? Because God instructs us to share these things with one another. Are you harboring grudges or old hurts about someone or something in this church? How does anger or resentment or irritation or jealousy or unforgiveness, and the list goes on, interfere with your personal walk with Jesus and, with, and, and how you function 
as a gifted person in the body. And what are you going to do about that? I'd like us to close remembering words from Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17, the high priestly prayer, is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And I love it because Jesus is not only praying for his immediate disciples, he's praying for those of us who follow down the road. And so, in essence, he was praying for us too. And he says, I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. What a beautiful passage of scripture. We all know that God sent his son Jesus to die for each one of us. He took on the sins of the world, past, present, and future, for our salvation. We're to celebrate this singly and also as one. It's only through his broken body, his death, his resurrection, that we can be a healthy body of believers. He was broken so that you and I could be whole and mended. He was despised and rejected so we could be glorified and accepted in him and unified in his body, the church. Someone once said that how we as Christians walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the gifted and the great. As this unified body is Christ's church and specifically the body of Cedarview Community Church. We are to welcome messed up people. We are to love the outcasts and the indigent. We are to encourage and champion the underdogs. We are to share hope with the hopeless and befriend the friendless. And we are to do this together as the body of our Lord. And why are we to do this? Because that's what Jesus did. Let's pray. Let's pray.